I don't know if you had actually heard about this, but I was reading the other day, but did you know about the new metal uh, eating bacteria? No. No? But I'm pretty sure uh, where they discovered it. I'm pretty sure it's uh, found on Lars Ulrich's uh, snare that they <laughs> use in the same anger. <laughs> uh, but, um... Yes, yes. Fucking snare. Welcome to the Thunder Rooster Podcast. My name is Ron. And I am Paul. And today we're going to start a little a little different. We're going to start off with a sponsor. It's a little bit of shameless promotion. You can snag my EP. Uh, it's under the, the name Mac the Knife. And my EP is called Blue. Uh, a little bit of that uh, intro is actually from that EP. But you can check it out on Apple, uh, Amazon Music, Deezer, as well as Google Play. So go check that out. <laughs> we are talking about Metallica. Yeah! Um, Paul and I are both really big fans of Metallica. Um, you may not know this, but me and Paul are uh, pretty heavy into guitar playing. So um, we found a... Uh, very similar interest in that we uh, cut our teeth a lot on Metallica songs. We do. Just gotta love that shit. Oh, <laughs> the best, baby. The best. All right, before we even get into this, <laughs> I, I want I want to know. Uh, I I know you told me before, sure. but I want you to let the listeners or yeah. viewers know. Sure. You know, uh, what was the first Metallica song that really grabbed you by the oh, nuts? Oh, sure, absolutely, Ron. Um, so yeah, so. As we've discussed, you know, we have a lot of common interests in music, guitar playing, yada, yada. Um, for me, I actually, I was a fan of this band growing up. I was also a fan of a lot of different music. Uh, obviously, your taste changed. But I got to say, uh, when I went to college, it was like my sophomore year at school. And <laughs> I came home from a party pretty drunk. And... <laughs> No. And I literally went to like my my roommate's room and sat down. I was like, "Wow, it was a long night." And he was listening to something I've never heard before. And yeah. I was like, "What the hell is this?" He goes, "Metallica." I go, "Under Sam and Metallica, wherever I may roam, Metallica, Blackout, Metallica." And he looks at me stupid and he goes, "No, <laughs> this is like, injustice for all." I was like, "Oh, I don't know what that was." So he's playing through and. So I ended up hearing the song, and it's uh, the first song off the Injustice for All album. It's called Black, and, and mm-hmm. it, it totally, something hit me when I was listening to this. I know even if I was inebriated, but all these years later, I never Still heard anything that just you. stuck to my head. Um, the song is about the environment. I mean, it, all these classic things that are going on now today, but I had never heard anything just so energized. Right. Just so much involved. I mean, 
the song has all these different layers. Um, it was the solo and the song that absolutely blew me away. And it was like, oh, my God, I if I could just learn how to play a note or two, I would have been happy. Yeah. And it's literally how it was. After that, I bought an acoustic guitar, started dabbling with the string here, string here. Yeah. I had kind of a thing with, like, I had an ear, and I still have this, and you've seen this in before. And then ever since then, 20-plus years later, I'm still playing. Yeah. And it, and it goes right back to that moment. Oh, yeah. So I, I want to thank my roommate. I know he's probably not listening or watching, but if I connect with him, it's all because of him. So Yeah. I'm about to get a couple thumbs down on this one, but, like, my... It's the first Metallica song I'd ever heard, but it caught me like I was hooked from hearing it the first time. It was Inner Sandman, you know. I was just some little kid watching, you know, flipping through the channels. Throw, saw MTV, it was on playing the video. Like, this is awesome. I mean, that is that song is probably as universal as it gets right. because probably anyone who's ever been to a sporting event in the last 25 years yeah. you're hearing that song there oh definitely that was their breakout song you know that's it was honestly i mean that was their mainstream breakout because yeah. as we'll learn pretty soon metallica was doing really really well without radio play no it was so. still to this day amongst with streaming and different outlets to get your music out you know no one had these options no, no. you know you're you're going early 80s 81 was basically the birth of four horsemen yep and uh that started out with lars dropping an ad in a local newspaper and you said it was the examiner right yes yes well, yeah he dropped dropped a little ad had some of the his favorite bands listed on there looking for uh like-minded musicians and uh, just to jam he yep. just wanted somebody to play play with him you know Lars had a lot of influence. Actually, I don't know if you knew this or not, but he was actually groomed to be a professional tennis player. Yeah, his dad was a professional tennis player. And, Which is uh, crazy how, how those things work out. I thought it was really funny how Lars, you know, was saying, you know, back where he was from overseas, you know, he was in the top 10 ranks. I couldn't believe For that. his age. Yeah. And then when he moved to America, he wasn't even the top 10 on his block. <laughs> I think he made the right choice. Oh, yeah. If you look at it this way. It's very interesting, though, because, you know, he used drumming as a hobby outside of tennis to give a little release and everything. He came to America, you know, and honestly, when he dropped that ad looking for like-minded musicians, you know, Hetfield responded, came out there. They had a bass player, I guess, that Lars known. Mm -hmm. His name was, uh, was it? Ro Ron McCovey. Yeah, Ron McCovey. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know from the mouths themselves you know Lars was not that great at the time no, it still isn't I'm sorry I can't but you know I think uh, from from what I remember it's uh, Lars lacked in talent but he already had some connections yeah. within the metal community you know? he knew a lot of he knew not a lot of different people especially going to Europe he uh, you know he was very fascinated with the sound that was coming out of Europe and they called it the British heavy metal yeah there. the new the new wave the new wave thank you so, you know, he would celebrate, and, and these are influences, you know, Iron Maiden, Diamond Head. I mean, these were bands that he, you know, that was his passion at that point, and he was just trying to connect with other people, and he just ended up finding the greatest frontman of all time. Oh, yeah. We got I mean, talk like about luck. Sabbath, Motorhead, and, you know, these, these kids at the time, you know, I mean, they were late teens, but mm -hmm. still, I mean... 
you know, they were really into that kind of grimy heavy metal thing. And, you know, at the time what was really coming up around where they were at, you know, glam. Yeah. Glam rock, glam metal, heavy metal, you know. It's like where where were they gonna find their place? Right. Because immense at that point you had yeah, it was just we were just getting out of disco. You're just getting into, you know, some stabs of pop. I mean, we're in the eighties and it's like, yeah, the glam metal scene was just kind of coming into play. Some of the thrash was out there, but it wasn't known. No air, you know, no radio play. <laughs> Here comes the spandex and Aquanet. Oh, God, Eyelander <laughs> needs to go away. I never understood that. But, hey, it got chicks, so I guess they did something right. Right. Well, circling back to sure. um, Lars's metal connections, uh, <laughs> something, um, a pretty pretty big name pops up, um, Brian Slagle. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a little thing going in. He had a uh, compilation disc coming out. It was just a compilation of local bands and stuff of that nature. And before Lars even had a band together, he was like, hey, man, if, uh, I get a band together. What's up, uh, dude? Can I uh, get a spot on the CD? Yeah, let's get on that CD there, yeah, dude. can I get a, a little? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even gonna... It was close. As Lars ever see this, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's close. A horrible impression. No, it was good. <laughs> Stick with it. But so yeah, I'm pretty sure Lars skated by on his connections until he started getting professional on the drums. Right. But um, so as far as where we have the first lineup, real quick, I yeah. gotta slide this in there. Slide it in. Brian Slagle went on to uh, to start and run Metal Blade Records. That is actually something I did not know. Yeah, you stumped me. A little no funny, shit. interesting story of. Uh, I've actually submitted my really my album to uh, oh. Metal Blade back in oh. 2012. Okay, and uh, I got a I got declined. <laughs> but you got a response, or was it just yeah? Like- they sent me back. It was like this is some real promising material, but unfortunately, this is not the direction we're going to for at the at the time. Which, for all I know, that's a cut and paste denial thing. For I, you know, I mean, I take it with a grain of salt. You know, wasn't at the time, but. Yeah, let's take it back to 81. Let's go back. Let's go right, way so back. They get Hetfield, and they already had a bassist. And the first guy that they tried out on guitar was Mr. Dave Mustaine. He did not even have to compete with anybody. No, because no one can compete with him. I mean, aside from that. For anyway, those of you who don't know, Dave Mustaine is the lead singer and uh, rhythm guitarist of a very successful band called Megadeth. Yes. A lot of origin behind that. But. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so your, your first your first four that come out is McCovey, Hetfield, Ulrich, and New... Or Mustaine. Mustaine. Jeez, <laughs> oh, I just did my tongue. So, at that point, that was the first, first four. Right. And, like you had said, they were getting noticed underground. Mm-hmm. They had no radio play. They started putting some tracks together. They still didn't have a, com- a compilation until uh, they got in touch with uh, John Suzuvas uh, and Megaforce Records. And that was when they actually started to lay down the first demo album was No Life to Leather. Right. But that was that was actually after the fact. Wasn't he the guy that got him kill them all? 
that's actually true. Well, it was he was for both? Cause Wait, like, no. Johnny Z was a management guy that right. got him out there. Right. We're skipping ahead. I'm sorry about no, no, that. No, no, it's okay. Uh, but yeah, no yeah. life to leather. No it was like a seven-track tape. It was the most amazing thing at that point. And they were just circling that around. Everybody they just brought it piece. everywhere they could. Uh, you know, you know, from they're from the Bay Area. Um, all of them basically. Not true. Not all of them. They are actually. Sorry. They started out in L.A. They were not getting any love in L.A. And they said, fuck L.A. They went up to uh, the Bay Area to play a, um, a benefit concert for a metal magazine. Yes, that's right. And uh, that's really where, like, the thrash metal found. That was the scene. That was where it was starting to blossom and stuff. So they felt more at home with that. So they really ran with that whole, you know, middle finger to L.A. at the time. Thank God they did because they... Metallica may not have ever been discovered no. if they hadn't got out of L.A. No. And you're probably right. And you know, everybody wants to go to L.A. to play, you know, that's the... That's, that's they all want to go by Skid Row, don't they? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I've been there. <laughs> yeah. Not... Let's say I've been by there. Uh, <laughs> car doors he drove locked, by. Just, just driving uh, by. Kind of, and drove away. And they're like, ugh, it's grody. But yeah, like you said, they had the uh, seven-track demo. We got mm-hmm. that around, and uh, eventually, eighty-three oh. comes out, and we got Kill 'Em All. Right, um, which you know they got in contact with a guy named Johnny Z, who's from the East Coast. I believe he lived in New Jersey, but um, he had already heard some buzz about the band, and um, they decided to offer to manage the band, and they. They give him $75 to drive all the way out to New York and record Kill Em All. And we're talking like as dirty and grimy as being in a band is when you first start out. You literally have no money whatsoever because any bit of money you get, you know, obviously you got to feed yourself. You got to take care of your, your point A to point B you know, travel and take care of that van. Yeah. The van very important. <laughs> uh, no van, a, no show, right? Getting a flat tire oh, it shows on the over. road. Oh, Life that's is a over. shot through the heart, man. Right? It's like, Oh, we can't play the show tonight. That means we don't get our little 50 to $75 guarantee that we were trying to get to last us to the next place. And you're at fade to black. <laughs> <laughs> We well, all understand how yeah. alcohol can other things get involved. Oh, for but, sure. You know, you got to have money for those too. Right. So. <laughs> so as long as they're as they're going through the the ranks, mm-hmm. we have kill them all at that point. They've already got the underground success. Then there was an issue at hand between the band, between Dave Mustaine and James Hetfield. Yeah. Here's what happened with that. See, out of the four members, three of them were happy-go-lucky drunks. One of them was a mean drunk. (laughs) And mean drunks are not fun to play with. Nope. And so, actually, whenever they got to New York, they pulled up in their little U-Haul box van, which they slept in while they were there. And they went up to uh, Johnny Z and was like, hey, the Mustang guy, stop cutting it. We're going to cut him. First of all, (laughs) why would you bring him... Right. There had to be some thought where you're like, this guy's not, this is bad. We need to, you know. Well, he was they so knew he was drinking. He was self-destructive. Right. 
But man, that it, I, like hearing Lars is verbatim <laughs> stuff, and I, he might have been exaggerating from the story because you know right. it's a past thing, and sure. they're all good now. I think, of but yeah, he was like, yeah, he woke him up. Hey, buddy, you're getting cut. We got you. <laughs> and Dave Mustaine didn't blink an eye or anything. Nope. It's like, when's my plane leave? He's like, oh, you're going to spend the next 14 hours on a Greyhound and your bus leaves in 45 minutes. So let's get going. I mean, that's literally how it went down. I was like, hey, bro, uh, you're out of the band. Yeah. So luckily, uh, an ex-guitar, well, I don't know if he was actually in Exodus or was an ex, he had already left no. the band at that point. Mm-hmm. But Kurt Hammond actually saw them play at that festival and when they came up to the Bay Area. Exodus. Yes. And uh, so he was interested, and they they actually had him fly out and audition. And uh, That's his history. Yeah, I think he only like they played the first song with him, I think, and he nailed the solo mm-hmm. to uh, "Seek and Destroy." Mm-hmm. Oh, one of my all time favorites. And yes. uh, it was it was all over from then. They were like, "Yep, we got a guy. We're, everything's fine." <laughs> so and they then record and then that. The- Oh, go ahead. And then the uh, the current basses ended up leaving, and then everything changed. Oh, yeah. Then after that, uh, the band had actually uh, went to a show and saw uh, another band called Trauma, where uh, Mr. Cliff Burton was playing for at the time. And so um, they actually had to, uh, had to uh, do quite the courting from what they were yes. saying to get him to come along because and he was this man was ahead of his time yeah completely I and mean it, what he was able to do I mean I still scratch my head to this day and I don't even play bass the guy had the tone of God in his fingers amazing <laughs> God he's amazing but yeah they got him to come out actually that was yeah that was before Kill em All they got him right, right. I want to say leading up to uh, ride the lightning. Oh, was that? Right? Oh, I don't. I don't believe. Now. I don't believe he had. I mean, I'll have to double check. I. I don't think he has credit because I know that Dave Mustaine had a lot of credit as far as the writing process mm-hmm. in Kill 'Em All. But I think it was just. I think once uh, ride the lightning came. I mean, that's where I think his his work is established. Right, right. You know what I mean? You had session recorders uh, for Kill 'Em All and whatnot, you know, but I think once it came to that point, but in my opinion, it's like once he entered the band, this was, was the turning point for this band. Right. They added, he added so many different elements because like we were saying, the other guys were just, in, you know, they were in a Diamond Head, they were in Aerosmith, they were into Iron Maiden, uh, Motorhead mm-hmm. and such. But Cliff... Had a little bit of psychedelic rock background. Cliff had a big niche for classical music. Yeah. And at first they were like, what? We're in heavy metal. What the fuck are we doing with classical music? <laughs> I don't know nothing about Beethoven. Screw this. Oh, man. Mom but then scene. he sat there. Then he <laughs> sat there and applied because he was he was involved in some music theory. And he applied these these ideals because these guys had no idea. They were just used to, you know, recording what they needed to and, and and their true sound. And this guy definitely just came in and, and put them on the map, in, in my opinion. All right. We're going to take a quick break real quick, and uh, we'll show you a nice little clip. 
All right, we are back. We're picking it back up with uh, Metallica releasing their album Kill 'Em All. Uh, the sales soared to over 300,000 within a few weeks of them putting it out because they had a pretty good big following through the international underground scene. That's just unheard of. Hey, it's hard to wrap your mind around, especially nowadays. I mean, it's, you have to think, nowadays, it's hard to get that. Right, because is it, is, it is it a million records gold? Uh, no, a hundred thousand records is gold. Is gold. And then you, a million's platinum. Right. Okay. Which I think, uh, I'm, no, I might be wrong on that. Is I think it? it's 500,000 is gold. Is gold. Because Metallica didn't get their first gold record until the next record. Yes. So, yeah, I believe it's half a million. Mm-hmm. But, um. Uh, that's incredible. So, I mean, like nowadays, it's easier to connect and spread your word. Yeah. But. Back then, I mean, people were hungry for it. They had to be hungry for it to find th- certain things. Where now, I think the market's oversaturated with music to the point where people are like, ah, "If it's good, I'll I'll hear it from somebody else." You know, you know, you don't have people really lining up for stuff anymore. I mean, you don't have to go to a record store anymore to get the new thing. You just even before the album comes out, you can just be like, "Okay, pre-save that album." You know, when it comes out, like. I have Apple Music, so all I have to do is say add when it drops, and it will pop up on my thing when it day it comes out. So much easier today, but man, it was not back then. No, not at all. And just is really uh, lightning striking two mm-hmm. times in the same place, really. Right. It's like kind of odds on that one. But yeah, they uh, had a great deal of uh, some small success with Kill 'em All. And uh, in 84, they signed with Electra Records. And released Ride the Lightning. And that one quickly went gold. Yes. <coughs> what are some of your some of your uh fun fun uh songs from Ride the Lightning? Oh, I mean there's we can go on all day. I mean, obviously the ones that had stuck out to people <clears throat> and we just even went back as far as uh trying to get on the road and your bus breaks down or mm-hmm. something doesn't go right. I mean Probably the most notable song of that album is Faded Black. Yeah. And the song itself, as much as it is, the lyrics are depressing. Yeah. If people are not aware of that. But it's an incredible song, but it's actually about <laughs> their stuff getting stolen. Yeah. I could pretty much be in that same boat. I mean, you're lifeless at that point. Anyway. If that's what they're trying to do to get there and yeah. to get successful and have your equipment stolen, I mean, yeah. just to turn that into a, an epic anthem <laughs> mind-blowing yeah i have to say the same thing with that uh but between this uh time they uh garnered their nickname alcoholica <laughs> for the overly indulged <laughs> drinking they would do on the road no not at all picking this up a little bit in the spring of 86 they released masters of puppets master of puppets my bad that sold a million copies without radio play. And the band did their last supporting act tour with none other than Ozzy Osbourne. Man of darkness himself. He is. <laughs> he is the godfather, if you want to call it. Right. So they were touring with Ozzy Osbourne, and they came up in a break time. And Metallica did some little 
little headlining uh, shows here and there, I think around mid Texas or something like that. But um, the reason why they did that was because Ozzy, I think, had tour dates or something in Japan, and they did that, and they were going to meet back together in um, in the fall to uh, tour Europe together. So the band goes over there, and uh, they played maybe 10 or 11 shows, and then a very tragic accident happened. Um, on September 27th of 1986, uh, their bus driver hit hit a patch of black ice and uh, flipped the bus over and uh, tragically killing uh, Cliff Burton. Uh, it was a real uh, draw of the cards on Cliff actually won a little game of cards between Kurt Hammock to see who gets a, gets a certain bunk. Cliff won chose that bunk and the rest is history um, everybody got out of the bus everybody's screaming nobody heard Cliff screaming so freaked out Kurt Hammett was the one who discovered his legs out from under the bus and you know he went into shock pretty much because he doesn't remember pretty much 48 hours after that how could you, you know, put yourself in that spot oh. put yourself in that spot with the you know one of your former bandmates, right? I have. I've literally thought about that when going down the road, like if something like that were to happen. Because obviously, this is one of those stories that you know you hear about, and you always wonder. I've seen several bands, you know, touring around the same time I was, that did the exact same thing. You know, there's this band called Ghost Inside. Similar thing happened, but they were in a van and trailer, and you know, their drummer. <sighs> lost uh lost the limb you know and it, that, I mean they came back they did and it's really really awesome but I just don't know like you know I mean obviously coping with that I mean you it was a it was a draw on cards I mm-hmm. mean literally fate goes either way I mean what would have happened if it was Kurt and not Cliff mm-hmm what would they have been? I mean, these are just unanswered, you know, situations. Yeah. But. I mean, it's kind of a wasted thought thinking of that way because right. both, both men are of course, incredibly talented. Of course. But yeah, that's very tragic time. And, uh, you know, a lot of the guys, you know, how were they going to go on at that point? Right. I mean, this, this guy was, I mean, he brought more to that band and they would even admit that right. they would definitely admit it, that he was their MVP. He was the one that, show them different options, different ways of playing music instead of just going, well, you know, maybe we'll just do some covers of these things and, and maybe just kind of adapt that into our, our game plan. But he was like, no, 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 there's other ways you can make music meaningful. Right. And he brought that element. I mean, you know, obviously the kill them all album, it's they're all the songs are short, three, four minutes tops. Mm-hmm. We start moving on to ride the lightning and then master puppets, which we're going to get to that in a second. But these songs started to get longer they were they were more anthem esque, mm-hmm. um, that had a real true meaning, and he is the sole purpose behind that because he brought his intellect, and it was a different side, and that's what makes music so great because he brought that to the table, and everyone else brought something, and it worked. Right, and it, it really highlighted yes. like basically what you could pin down mm-hmm. what Metallica is. 
really shined on what Cliff had helped with. That was like a fine-tuned machine. Right. Is the best way you could describe it. So, yeah, the, the heartbreak on that, they didn't know if they were going to continue on. Rightfully so. Right. But they bounced back. They did. Thank God with for Avengers. Lars Ulrich. He, uh, the band basically came together and, you know, understood that Cliff would want them to continue on. So within six weeks, they were looking for another bassist. And they uh, had a pretty long, drawn-out tryout process. And uh, <laughs> someone was pretty funny. <laughs> a lot of uh, people showing up with uh, the wrong look, and they'd be like, nope, next. So it got pretty cold. But um, they got their uh, new bassist, uh, Jason Newstead, who was in Flotsam and Jetsam at the time. And uh, there's only one notable bassist that I can think of that tried out and just uh, just didn't fit well. But uh, Les Claypool, I know that's tried. so crazy because he is just he's an incredible musician. Right. Not everyone's cup of tea, but I think that's what came down with him. They were like, no, you've already got your own thing going. <laughs> you were like, you're yeah. not in our league, buddy. Like right. you're great where you're at. Just I don't think it's going to work. Right. Everybody has their respective lane there, and I, yes. I think they chose wisely on that. Absolutely. They got Jason Newstead in the band. He was a great fit. And of course, he the, was a big fan of them. Oh, yeah. Before he even got in, he's like, look, I'm playing with my idols. Right. It was Can like the whole that? rock star mentality. He's like, <laughs> I hit the fucking lottery. Right. But yeah, they hazed the shit out of him yeah, for this poor man. a long time. I mean, <laughs> he's, a, he's a very ambitious, very intelligent man. And just the shit that he'd have been put through, I mean, I don't know how he did it. Right. Hazing is one thing, but, you know, everyone hits their boiling point, and yeah. I don't know how he did it for all those years. I tell you how he did it. He got in the band that he idolized, you he know. paid. Probably that, too. Got but paid. I'm telling you. Yes. Well, yeah, once Jason got in the band and uh, started writing in around 88, and Justice for All comes mm-hmm. into play and mm-hmm. brings some uh, great sounding tracks of the likes of One. Blackened and Harvester of Sorrows, among many others. And uh, just the, mer- the remember sound. you sending me the the link for the what was it, Binge and Purge yeah. Seattle show? And that was right in the heat of that raw, period. Just raw. Uh, so it good. It gave me goosebumps when you it It's every time I go back to it, I feel the same way. I'm like, uh, just pop that shit on the I've big screen. I've seen them four times and. and uh, that show still is like to me it's like it's the, it's the masterpiece icon show that if you're a fan of this band and you haven't seen it highly suggest you check it out and commit the time oh yeah definitely you will not be let down yeah right moving along trying not to too too deep on this but we're gonna move to uh august of 1990 uh, the band hooked up with bob rock to get a more uh polished sound now, now, for people that don't know Bob Rock, we do. Bob Rock is a famous uh, music producer, has worked with ACDC and countless other top-notch acts. So Great. for him to come in to work with these guys, you know, obviously this was going to be hopefully the next step to catapult their careers. I mean, it's like, <laughs> look. Yeah, he had a pre- – <laughs> to me, it sounded like a pretty pretentious story about how he ended up working with Metallica. <laughs> you know, he, was, he was unsure if he wanted to do it. 
And he was driving in the middle of the desert somewhere and pulled over to a gas station and heard Metallica playing on the radio. And he's like, well, that's a sign. Like a real Doors-esque type yes. moment. <laughs> that's exactly how it that, yeah. That's what got it done. That's what got it done. And uh, with the help of Bob Rock, they made a really great fucking album. I mean, well, Black it's, Album. It's the, it's the one that put them in the, to everyone household names. Oh, yeah, man. You go to you go to a sports game, you hear this. Right. You hear they, almost all these songs. They just cut all the crap out and... I mean, took a little page out of Spinal Tap for the Black Album, but you know. <laughs> and they and they fine tune these songs. Like as I was saying earlier, it's mm-hmm. like you know they went from this kill them all fast, everything ready mm-hmm. to go, three four minutes tops. Then we start to get to these long, you know, long epic masterpiece songs. Then we go to the Black Album, where where Bob Rock has has been known to really bring out the best musicians. Mm-hmm. As far as their creativity, mm-hmm. the way they mix, and he can get the best out of them. Right, and we saw the making of the Black Album, and you know they bumped heads quite a bit. I mean, they they put each other through the ringer, and uh, surprisingly enough, to my knowledge, I uh, found out it cost a million dollars to record that album. Jeez. Worth every penny, of course, but wow, just in the nineties, well, a million and- bucks to record an album. But then you go back and you listen to it and you go, okay, I don't think I can f- hear something that's as polished as this no. through and through. I think he really brought the best out yes. of the guys then. I agree. So good. Wholeheartedly, yeah. But yeah, they... So that <laughs> catapults them here. They're, no, that lo- <laughs> their you know rocket I mean? it, launches it, them. Yeah, they, it's, it's Stratosphere stuff. It's Rolling Stone. It's MTV, you know, Video Music Awards. It's like overnight sensation. You saw yeah. the videos when they showed the record stores. Oh, yeah. This thing debuted number one on the charts and within two weeks had gone double platinum. And nobody was listening to this music. It just, it rocked the world. Mm-hmm. 91, 92 was, was their year. Right. Literally. It was like overnight. People were like, who the hell is this band? Right. Metallica. Oh, my God. Oh, we completely skipped over the fact of the last album cycle. Where they got nominated for a Grammy, and it was just threw in the trash to. I don't even know his name. Jethro right Tull. Now. Jethro Tull. Yeah, they're a great band. I knew that. <laughs> I mean, when, when you're shredding on the flute, I mean, I get it. <laughs> oh man, when I first learned of that, you know, I was, I was a child basically, but yeah. oh, the man. whole world was like, "What the hell just happened?" Even me, not having a very limited amount of music knowledge, was like, "What." And the fact, Metal album? right? And the fact that's you know most of the people that go and perform on award shows, they're getting the fucking award after they perform. Right? No, not them. Yeah. Nope. They perform. They they lay it out there. Everyone's like, "Wow, this is something we've never experienced." And yeah, and they lose. I think a big part of it is how the Grammys work. You know, the oh, people yeah. who vote on the Grammys are yeah. the people who've won Grammys. Exactly. So I'm, that's a whole nother topic. It's probably it might be one of those things where they're you know somebody got getting cut into their pocket change, you know, and be like, yeah, fuck these guys. But moving along. So as uh, far as, so as far as we, you know, mainstream success, everyone's mm-hmm. knows us making money. Everything is good. We had downfall, potentially number one. Now we have number two, number two coming up in, uh, Montreal show that happened. Um, it was in '92, mm-hmm. and Guns N' Roses and Metallica were putting on a big, massive tour together. 
like that was they were calling that 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 was going to be the biggest rock tour of mm-hmm. the decade. That's what they were going hands for. down. It sure oh, it was the show. Of the, it was the show of the decade. Let's, let's right. say that. So Guns N' Roses, uh, their lead singer Axl Rose, being quite a prima donna through this tour, and I think that was really the downfall of him. But you know, he would miss out saying he's got some voice problems, smoking a cigarette and drinking, you know. <laughs> but it's actually that happened when this accident happened. But through uh, playing the show in Montreal, they had some pyrotechnics going, and uh, James got, you know, got disoriented. He was in the wrong spot. Power guy didn't see him. Power went off. Stopped the show. 12 foot high flames. Yep. 3,200 degrees. Yep. Left arm all the way up his shoulder, parts of his face. Parts of his leg. Dude was messed up. And that's when it was literally like, okay. They make the announcement. They stop the show because literally everyone saw this fire going. They stop the show. Now, in a situation like this, you put yourself in that position. You're, you don't know what the hell to do at this point. Hmm. He, he literally goes out there. He makes an apology as a result of the band. Their singer's hurt. We can't continue. Right. At that point, you hope that because this was going to be the biggest show of the decade, that maybe Guns N' Roses would help out in the situation. Step up. Be the hero of the and day. And what do they do? Yeah, I can't. My voice is going out. <laughs> they leave. Yep. And then what happens next? A full-on riot. They trashed the place. Montreal was destroyed. I can only imagine. You know, this is a future topic, but I remember uh, Slipknot, they used to start off a show by their intro basically being somebody getting on and be like, we are sorry to inform you, Slipknot will not be performing this evening. (laughs) And then, of course, the curtain drops. You know, they just piss everybody off, get them in the mood. (laughs) It's just not right, Corey. Not right. But yeah, and this time uh, they called upon their roadie, one of their guitar techs, actually. Um, you know, kind of pays to know mm-hmm. the songs of the band you're right. helping out because you, know, you learn them. Know. You never know; you could get your next shot. So they had him come up, play guitar, and uh, James just went on chugging along, just singing, and uh, that's what got him through that. Um. Through the success of the Black Album, that had them touring for over two and a half years straight. I mean, once you think the the album cycle's getting done, it's getting discovered over in Japan and blah, 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 you know. And at this point, the money's coming in for those guys. Management calls, you know. Just like to let you guys know when you guys get back, all of you will have enough money to buy a house. Oh, for sure. <laughs> you know. That was already purchase number one, I bet. Yeah. You know. All right. We, uh, they end up taking a break. There was an incident with uh, the pyrotechnics. Unfortunately, James uh, is on his way to the hospital right now. And we're very sorry, but we can't continue the concert for you guys tonight. But we promise you one thing for Metallica. And you know that we always good by our words. We will come back and finish our concert and play again for you as soon as we can within the next p- couple of months. Thank you, Montreal. We're sorry, okay? Thanks for being so patient. Thanks a lot. All right, and welcome back. So uh, in our discussion, we'll continue on with 
the roadie, the lucky roadie, the lucky I guess you could say it in the, in the history of Metallica, kind of just, you know, going back to where we kind of left, left off, uh, with the situation where, uh, there was a little pyro incident with James, but as we were discussing, it pays to know the music. It pays to be a part of the band because something like this could happen. So, right. uh, so at least for the short period of time, uh, the roadie helped out. I actually don't remember, don't know his name at this point, but yeah, I don't remember it either. <laughs> um, but in the process, you know, as you had that person helping out the band, James could heal. You could see on some of his uh, shows that were coming up, he was wearing like a protective brace on his hand. Yeah, and most people would think, you know, uh, to to have second degree burns. I mean, that'd be enough to just maybe not want you to continue. Right, uh, you know, I mean, that's that's strong dedication. Will it's doing what you love, and 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 that just shows on out from everything that he's done. Have you ever had a burn like that before? You know, I've never had a burn. I've had a couple stitches, but nothing to that kind of extent. Uh, dude, I had a massive burn on my leg one time. Um, it was after playing a show with uh, one of my little like cover bands that I had right out of high school, and we were drinking at the guitarist's house and. His brother uh, decided he wanted to be like Jimi Hendrix and put some lighter fluid on his acoustic. You know, we were having fun with it. He would put a little on, light it, and then, you know, you'd wave it and he'd go out. So uh, I'm minding my own business. Just sure you are. a little drink. Yeah, of course you are. Uh, one of them shoots uh, lighter fluid at my shoe. Oh, boy. And throws a cigarette at it. And it lights up, and you know, I I kicked the tire of a truck, yeah. and that it put it out. But I guess they tried it again a little later, and it didn't go out so easy. So <laughs> did the whole drop through, stop, drop, and roll. Got it out, and I was just I was afraid to look at my leg because I felt it. It was bad, but it was. And now that was your leg. Imagine that being your guitar hand. Could not do. How could you do it? I could not do it. No, but the closest thing to a guitar hand injury I had was I was working with a grinder one time, and it bounced off of a steel beam I was grinding, and for some reason or another, I wasn't wearing my gloves, and it bounced right off the thing and smacked me right on the tip of the finger (laughs) of my fret hand. (laughs) You idiot! I know. (laughs) Being young and dumb. Young and dumb, but at least hey. (laughs) <laughs> you're fine and you're with us. So. Right. But again, pays to be the roadie, pays to be the guy kind of being, you know, within the band. So, yeah. So again, yeah, the, you know, these are, these are just examples of, you know, trials and tribulations of the band. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, on a two plus year hiatus or, you know, touring and whatnot. I mean, you're going to be right. tired. You're going to need a break. You two need, and a half years. Two and a half years. I mean, you can understand how that is just be being out on the road for a couple of weeks. Yeah. But go a couple of years. I mean, I think the longest I was out at one time was like a month. And, and even that I could see. Which even is that, it was like, mm-hmm. I need to get home. Right. And I need to know that I'm going to be able to eat three meals in one day. Right. Maybe have a nice <laughs> nice warm shower. Oh, yeah, dude. Nice warm bed instead of just sleeping in the same rundown hotels. The smells. The garbage food. <laughs> the smells. Your tour days will just kind of bring you down to the smells, right? Yeah, three or three or more dudes in a vehicle at a time for long periods of time at that, you know, smells are going to get interesting. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, anyhow. Anyway, <laughs> so again, um, that was a major turning point for the band. Yeah. Again, nobody knew what was going to happen, but luckily everything kind of worked itself out at that point. 
Right. So we're kind of looking at this point. We have all the success. This band is on top of the charts everywhere. Their their name is household name at this point. Right. So with success comes other stigmas, comes other things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a period where all the success um, kind of puts you at, you know, a couple other albums that they started to do after that. You know, like, here's the success. Where can we go next? Right. You know, they're here. And then what ended up happening was things changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I couldn't believe, I couldn't imagine having to top something like that. I and, mean, and, and as an artist, just in general, you know, they're just going the next thing, you know, mm-hmm. like even with my music, I don't know. I'm not trying to top what I did last. It's right. just the evolution of my writing right. kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I guess I can kind of see that. Mm-hmm. But still, it's big as that record was I mean anything they do from that point on is going to get compared to the success of Black Album and to this day they still go back to that oh yeah and this is over you know a couple decades old I mean at this point but I mean can you I I don't don't see like a rock or metal band having that kind of a success anytime like no, the black album could very well they're be still, the last. They, they're still the, the records one. that they have. Still, what is sold in volume every mm-hmm. year? Right, still mind blowing on Nielsen. But mm-hmm. so with that, obviously, you have the success. Change can be inevitable. Change happened. Mm-hmm. A lot of people didn't like the change, and it first leads off with cutting the locks. I could not believe how people reacted to just them cutting their hair. I mean, they t- <laughs> turned on them. Right. Turned on him overnight. Well, I mean, metal metal life with a, is a lifestyle, you know, then and now a little bit, I guess. But I don't see mm-hmm. much now. But, yeah, long hair was everything back in the day. And I, I, don't, I didn't see anything wrong with it, you know. Like I was telling you before, like my favorite DVD of them to watch was their cunning stunts, mm-hmm. you know. And that's, this is right after they did all that. Right. You know, this is right around 97, yeah. 97, 96, 97. Yeah. I just so. felt it was a growth in the band and then it was an attitude adjustment, which has to happen. And I can say, looking back now, I understand it. Mm-hmm. When I was younger, I was right. Honestly, I was right in the same crowd. I yeah. was like, what is going on? Like, oh. Why are you guys doing this? Oh, sellouts. Yeah. Well, selling out is a good thing. Pays the bills, supports your family. So if there's a couple kids in the basement, you know, mom's basement crying about it, fine. I'm not going to take any heart to that, you know. So when they put out Load, they, uh, the the album for Load and Reload, uh, we... I just found out. What what was it again? <laughs> uh, Ron, maybe you want to... Uh, would you like to bring this up, Ron? Yeah, I would. Is it still PG or nah? <laughs> keep it going. Keep it going? Yeah. Well, the unfortunate thing was, and I, I don't know where that inf- influence or inspiration came about, but the covers of the album is actually uh, Dear... How do we want to say that, Ron? Seaman. Seaman? <laughs> you're Seaman, right? It's Dear Come. Dear Come, yeah. <laughs> so... Don't know what they were thinking, but maybe that led to uh, maybe that led to other things down the road. Yeah, well, you can just see like with Road and Reload, obviously Reload kind of being a callback to Load, but that was actually supposed to be a double album, and the mm-hmm. label wouldn't let them release it that way. Which eh, whatever. And as far as the sound, 
it was more of like a rock album. Mm-hmm. It didn't really sound like a heavy metal album. No, and they, people can attest to this. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Like you and I both talk, we both we like the album. Yeah, there's a handful of people that do, and there's still a handful of people that will not accept it. Right, but that is just something that they did for themselves to make a change mm-hmm. instead of just doing the same thing over and over and over. Right, and yeah. you have to have respect at the end of the day for it. Yeah, they're just casting a bigger net. They're trying mm-hmm. to do something different. Right, they you know, got into a lot of stuff that influenced them when they were starting out. Absolutely. So even though it wasn't another breakout thrash album, like mm-hmm. they were, you know, they're, you know, beginning fans are expecting, right. you know, I mean, ain't my bitch. That's one of my favorite Metallica songs. And it's, it's song. completely different from what they my bitch. Do, you, know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and those albums won Grammys. They mm-hmm. were certified, but still people again, weren't thrilled with it again that's what they wanted to do and then it even showed afterwards like so you had that period of these couple albums and then like you said paying homage to their to their uh you know to their influences you get a double album yeah which was all cover songs and it was incredible as far as what you have i mean you got covers for thin lizzy queen motorhead diamond oh you're talking about garage ink yeah so right you know right when we go from the load era Mm -hmm. which was impactful it sold it was successful only thing at this point they're like we're just gonna do a cover album we want to put some songs out of like what influenced us to start playing these instruments right because that's how a lot of uh metallica's earlier shows got them you know a lot of recognition because they were putting their own spin on Mm -hmm. cover songs they were just odd obscure bands that nobody's even heard of so when the uh you know higher ups were asking them about signing and stuff like Where's all these awesome songs we heard? <laughs> and to hear them and go, wow, I thought these were the originals. Right. I mean, they can turn a, they turn a cover in a badass song. They threw them through. You know, so they, they know what they're doing. They did a little opie dope. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, we're going to take one quick break, and we'll be back with our top five Metallica Top five. Songs. And also, just want to squeeze this in because I can notice a pretty long, drawn-out <laughs> podcast here because Metallica is a huge band. They've been around for almost 40 years, so I think we're going to cut it off. We can't do one show. 19 to 20-year mark. Yeah, we, can't, <laughs> we can't wrap it all up on one show. we got to give them more. So, yeah, we will be back with another Metallica part episode. Two. We, we will have to circle Dose. back around and do that again. Dose. But all right, we'll be back in one second. Yeah! All right, last segment of the podcast. Go! Ah! <laughs> all right, we're back, and we are in our pecking order, and we are going to give our top five tracks of Metallica. Paul, would you like to go first? God, there's so, there's so many, Ron. I don't know. We might be here all day. Maybe. No. No one would want to be here that long. What do you think? <laughs> Moving along. Okay, so our top five. We obviously went back and forth over this. We went back and forth. Back and forth. Back and forth. Back and forth. <laughs> fucking break it? No, it wasn't recording. I was like, why did it go black? No, I'll leave it as in. It got you on this one, so. 
people, this is our second podcast ever. So. <laughs> Just edit that Making out. Making lemons Just out of Just edit all that out. Okay, so f- top five. Yep. Let's, let's get into this. You want to get into order. this? Okay. We've had a lot of conversation back and forth. So, all right. Starting at five for me, um, this is off the Black Album. This is My Friend Misery. The reason I chose this is that the bass line is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, the song is incredible. I've learned how to play this song. And truthfully, this song for me hits home because there's been countless times over the years where this song hits me because there's times where in my day-to-day life or whatever, I truly feel like the world's on my shoulder and I have to carry the load. Yeah. And when I get in honestly, when I get moments like that, I put that on and that kind of kind of brings me back down. I know it's kind of weird to say that, but that's just... For me, that's like that's one I always go back to, mm-hmm. and you can play it, so it's on a, kind of cool too. So. Gives you a little tether to yeah. around. What you got at five? I got battery at five. <sighs> I love that song so hard. I just you know. the intro rift is just fucking insane. <laughs> you know, for the longest time, it was like just just trying to learn the acoustic mm-hmm. section of the first couple bars, and it's like I can play it. It's like it's great. Absolutely melodic, just and it just grabs you right there. Yeah, just has to eat by the balls the entire time. And something we we didn't get to in this segment, mm-hmm. but you know, with our current bass player Robert Trujillo, you know, he plays that with his fingers, man. <laughs> like as a guitar player, I just you know ran over with uh, being impressed with him. Uh, I would have been be impressed too because yeah. those strings are thick. Just running the oh, channel, just man. Step in the base. All right, Slap let's go into number four. What do you All got? right, number four for me, uh, off of Master Puppets, it's Welcome Home Sanitarium. Ah. Another song that goes through stages. Mm-hmm. It's slow melodic. It builds. It grabs you. It lets you go. It grabs you again. Yeah. It lets you go. It is like it's an epic, epic song. And also another thing, the, the description on there is like, if you feel trapped, are you, sometimes I feel like I'm trapped in a prison. Sometimes I don't, you know, but I think in some point people can relate to that, but that's another one that just, uh, just hits home. And it's just like, if I, if I hear that, I'm going to listen to it. I'm not changing. It. Right. It's one of those songs. I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but when they did their icon thing and let biscuit covered that song, mm-hmm. I really liked it. <laughs> I will say it too. I did too at the time. Yeah, not gonna lie, I did like it too. But, uh, I want to be a hater all across the board, but right, yeah, we uh, can go on on that. But yeah, I very good, good, very good cover. Yeah, uh, number four for me is "Ain't My Bitch." I already said I, I ain't your bitch. Yeah, and I never will be. <laughs> I, I've already said I, I really love that song, but uh, I don't know exactly why I love that song, it, other than the fact that it, it was just a, a different side of the band. Yeah, catchy, yeah, kind of very rock and roll groovy riff. You know, yeah, what I it's mean? a really like it's yeah. it's just a real like rock driven song with hints of metal in, in it, and I, I really dig that vibe. Mm-hmm. That was my good, number good choice. Good choice. <laughs> Went right off the uh, load reload. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, number three. Uh, this is coming off Injustice for All. This is uh, it's actually a whole instrumental. Um, it's called "To Live Is to Die," and this was actually mm. written in response to their bassist who died. Yeah. Um, I can't tell you what this song means to me, 
I don't know what it is. The melodies, the song itself, mm-hmm. it just hits me. I've I've told my wife this. I've told people that at my funeral, I want this playing. Yeah. It's just there's something about this song because it it shows everything. It shows you know it shows hope it shows pain it shows sorrow but in like the most beautiful way you can actually describe it right. without even having words there's a spoken section but without having actually have words there's that so yeah. that was almost a tough thing because i could still could put this in number one for myself yeah but i had to put it at three just because yeah there's so many sounds kind of i know, we have, <laughs> you know tons what you at three what you got uh i have Wherever I May Roam at number three. And that was actually going to be maybe on there, and you can attest to this one. Yeah, I love that song. Um, I can't even tell you like when I first heard it, but I knew I was locked into it as, mm-hmm. soon, as soon as I heard that song. It's, as soon as it comes in, you know, it's got that little sitar playing. Oh, my gosh. Uh, dude, I learned how to play that song on guitar and just... I ran my fingers raw on that. To that song? Oh, yeah. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. It was actually one of the few songs I actually were like trying to sing and play mm-hmm. guitar at the same time. To because this day, so easy, I still right? can't do Because <laughs> it's so easy. I can play drums doing like eight different things at once and sing along to something, but put a guitar in my hands and I'm it's like, a problem. Eh. Yeah. No. And what about on the road? Did that hit with you a lot of the time when you were touring, traveling? No, I mean to me, I, it I didn't really. You, that never really filled in for you. I didn't. I didn't tour that much. Right. You know, I didn't get get as far as I wanted to with that. But I felt like times when when I when I either had to travel from work or I was living so far away from home. Yeah. I mean, that was like that was like the constant reminder <laughs> song on the playlist. That was it's like the- anywhere I'm going. I mean, it's like I'm never where I need to be. I am just at your disposal. You yeah. know. I think. I think my cross-country trips outside of touring i think that applies more to that because in my 20s i was kind of wherever i wherever you roamed wherever i may yeah, roam whatever you had to do sure you know, i went to dc and joined yeah. a band and then moved to vegas after that you know and it was definitely a fun little oh, it wasn't too fun i love traveling <laughs> i can tell all right, what do you got at number right, two? Number two, Injustice for All, and this is Blacken. Mm. Uh, my story for that is uh, this is, to me, their heaviest song um, because it's just it's just straight energy. It's uh, for, for music, musicians out there. Um, most people, if they listen to basic pop songs or regular songs, it's 4-4 four, four time. This has all sorts of different time signature. It's slow. It's fast. It's really heavy. It's really melodic it just it goes all over the place right um to me that one was just like that's what got me into guitar i heard this song i I listened to the band before we had this conversation i came home from a party pretty drunk out of my skull um (laughs) to find my roommate blaring the song i had no idea who it was i was like this shit is just amazing what is this and he told me and i was like after that i was like i'm picking up a guitar this is 20 years later so <laughs> you told that exact story at the beginning <laughs> of the podcast <laughs> did i yeah. well you gathered that out <laughs> we'll insert it here insert idiot <laughs> uh we're, we're making up time folks <laughs> Whatever. what's number two ron what you uh number two uh what is oh creeping death I was wondering when you were going to put that on your list. That chant, die, 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 and that whole thing. I don't know. That song really... I don't know. It, 
I can't say it's a song that embodies Metallica for me because you know my number one probably has that more than anything mm-hmm. but you know there's so much in that song that just I think it's one of their one of their masterpieces I know I agree. It, it's subjective people have their thing you know? of course I agree I mean I have songs from Load on here so <laughs> I mean c- could you imagine going to four different shows at 20,000 or so people at each show hearing that no I'm sorry I hate you Paul. four times four times <laughs> four horsemen times I just want one I hope when all this is done I get to at least see them one yes. time yes let's get them one more time I'll be alright with that just one more time <laughs> alright to numero uno for all it's worth I almost want to say we probably have the same number we one. may I don't know I'm going to kind of think we might I kind of figured I probably would have heard it by now so it's Master of Puppets album. <laughs> Master of Puppets. Yes, sir. Hands down, to me, it's the greatest song I've heard in my life. This is Stairway to Heaven, but a harder rock version of it. It's the middle up your ass it version is. of it. And can we say it's in the uh, the National Archives? Yes. So for all you people that are like heavy metals, satanic, and this and that, yeah, there's some of it. There's some other things that are not, but you can go to your, you know, go to the halls of Congress and you can go ahead and listen to that album. Okay. It'll be there forever. Love everything about that song. Uh, just I've never heard anything to me. It still holds up. It's mm-hmm. just it's fast. It's powerful. It's it's beautiful. I mean, and, and the I- worst part about it, it's it's about drugs. Yeah cocaine mm-hmm. of all things I don't do that yeah. no one wants to do that but just to turn something like that uh, there's quite a few I'm sure there are <laughs> I'm sure there are let's, let's not narrow cast too much but uh, um, but you know what I mean it's like yeah. it's just that's what the song is about and and it obviously hits a lot of people in different ways but that is that is that band right that is them in a nutshell yeah I mean my one of my favorite movies ever I mean, it's top five movies, definitely old school. And I just lit up like a <laughs> kid on Christmas when they started playing that. And they were going. Well, they'll bring him back by dinner time. Yeah. We'll bring him back. You know, if you're, gonna, if you're stealing <laughs> old you man. tell anybody I felt this, I'll kill you. You know, <laughs> right, in the, right in the van. Well, they brought him back for dinner. I'll bring that clip up right here just for the people. Who so about this I'll fucking kill you I think we're good I'm with kidding. that I'm kidding. We'll, come back we'll get part tonight. two up here real soon camera died out on me but anyway oh there it is where'd you go homie right, anyways um I must say I, li- I liked what you had on your list I wasn't really I wasn't really too sure yeah, I just didn't know because the thing too is we got a little bit of an age difference between us. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's not, huge, not a ton, but, but still, there's but it's no... just enough to know like where where things lie, where where you kind of angle like what you like mm-hmm. and what I angle what I like, and that's what's that's well, what's there's great just about it. so many songs to choose from yeah. too, and just grabbing a top five is so hard, right? So I mean, mine my list definitely um, is probably not a favorite to win kind of thing, but. I just had to grab from a personal standpoint That's, of it. You have and to. you got to do what – got to pick what me. you like. And it's like, yeah. and again, you know where those songs were. Mm-hmm. You started learning that because you were just, you know, excited about it. I was the same way. Yeah. There's a cover 
uh, that I love to death from Metallica. So this is an honorable mention for me. But okay. Die Died, my darling. Of course. Uh, that was such a great one. Such a great cover. It's so what? So fucking what? <laughs> or are you? Am I evil? Right. Oh god, yeah. There's just so much. Save it. Time, save right? it for part two. Yeah. Save it for part two. So much. But thanks for checking yeah, us out. Yeah, thanks again. Uh, next week we will be coming back. Uh, I believe our topic will be over UFOs. Ooh. Well, UFOs and a little bit of Bob Lazar. We'll see what we can crack into that. Uh, a lot of these uh, subjects are a little, you know, a broadcast. Uh, broadcast. <laughs> it's a broadcast of a net or a broad stroke, I should say. But, uh, you know. We're just going to keep at it and keep getting better at this. All right. Thanks a lot, everybody. Uh, Catch us back next week. Same time, same place. And hope you have a good one. See ya. (laughs) 